With Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, our online banking and mobile app are like having a branch at your fingertips. Insured by NCUA and with everything you need to use and manage your accounts 24-7. Hi, I'm Tom Obergfell of Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, inviting you to enjoy better banking where and when you want. Features include bill pay, money transfer, budgeting, early payday program, and much more. Check us out today at NotreDameFCU.com to learn more. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, which is made possible by the generous support of Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop, whose favorite color is... Green. Green. Good. Ordinary time. Exactly. <laughs> uh, today we are talking about St. Hilary, who uh, you were telling me he fought heresy with scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know much about St. Hilary other than that it's a man. Mm-hmm. Some might think St. Hilary is That's a, right. He's a, a bishop. Bishop. Yep. No, it's it, it's interesting. A doctor of the church? A doctor of the church. And he's not well known. Yeah. And it's a shame. I'll, I'll have to tell you, when I was installed as Bishop of Fort Wayne, South Bend, it was on the feast of St. Hilary, yes. January 13th, 2010. Happy anniversary. Thank you. I really didn't know a lot about him at that point. I don't remember studying him very much in seminary. So typically when a bishop is ordained or installed, I mean, it doesn't have to be on the date of a feast of a bishop, but it's kind of like something that you look at. Yeah. yeah, Because that would be appropriate. Now I was ordained a bishop on the feast of Juan Diego because St. There wasn't really an, well, I guess it could have been St. Nicholas that was close by, but I guess that date didn't work. In any case, it happened to be St. Hilary. So after that, I started reading, and I really became impressed. I thought, what a great bishop and father of the church. And mm-hmm. as you said, a doctor of the church. He's St. Hilary of Poitiers, Poitiers in France, which at that time was, was Gaul. Okay. And he lived in the fourth century. He was born around the year 310. So, and he wasn't a Christian. And Christianity wasn't legal in the Roman Empire yet. He was basically pagan. He was searching. He was very well-educated, probably well-to-do family. He had a very good literary education. You can tell that in his writings. And he studied Greek philosophy, studied Latin and Greek classics. So he had a very, very good education. Hmm. He came, like many of the early church fathers, to accept the, the Christian faith, and, as, and especially by studying the Bible. And, of course, they knew a lot of these early fathers knew philosophy well, and they knew the sciences at that time. So those who were fathers and doctors of the church, they were well-educated, and but they, they were able to use reason together with the mm-hmm. faith, and they came to believe. Hmm. So that happened with Hillary. We don't know a lot about his early life. We do know that he was married and had a daughter, and he was in his 30s when he decided to be baptized. And not long after that, he was elected by the people as their bishop in Poitiers. As a married man? As a married man. There was still, at that point, the preference would have been for celibates, but if they were married, then they were expected to live in continence with their wives or separated after their ordination. So Hmm. it's believed that he basically 
kind of live celibacy or after ordination. So in any event, the people wanted him to be their bishop. I think he was so well-respected. So it was probably about seven or eight years after he was baptized that he was elected bishop. Mm. We know he was, he became bishop in the year 353. Now think about this. He would have become Christian in the year 345. It was 20 years before that, that the Council of Nicaea took place. Hmm. So this is very early on, you know, with the Nicene Creed. And if you remember, it was because of the Arian heresy that the bishops met in Nicaea, where they debated and they ended up condemning the teachings of the priest Arius, who denied the full divinity of Christ. Well, when Hillary became bishop, even though it was, you know, 20 years or almost 30 years after Nicaea, there was like a second wave of Arianism. Hmm. So even though, like it's kind of think of after the Second Vatican Council, here we are 50, 60 years, 60 years later, and yet it's still being implemented. That was the same thing with yeah. Nicaea. Not everyone accepted. So he had to face this and this terrible doctrinal controversy. And he took on a very significant role in defending the divinity of Christ. And they had a meeting of the bishops, a synod in southern Gaul, southern France. He was one of the few, if not the only one, defending the divinity of Christ. Oh, wow. These were the bishops of of Gaul. And the emperor was kind of a semi-Aryan. His name was Constantius II. So... Obviously, they weren't happy with Bishop Hillary because he was defending the faith of Nicaea. Yeah. He was defending the full divinity of Christ. As a matter of fact, he's called the Athanasius of the West. Hmm. You know, St. Athanasius was the great Eastern father of the, and doctor of the church who was so prominent at the Council of Nicaea defending the divinity of Christ. So what did the emperor do? He sentenced Hillary to exile. And that was in the year 356. And I'm sure the bishops in Gaul were very happy to get rid of him. Wow. And he was sent and banished to a region called Phrygia. Phrygia is in modern-day Turkey. And that area was totally dominated by Arianism. So he goes from Gaul to Phrygia and he worked again to defend the teachings of the Council of Nicaea. And he wrote while he was there, and this is kind of providential that we wouldn't have probably have these great readings of Saint writings of Saint Hilary if it wasn't for his exile. He wrote a commentary on Saint Matthew's Gospel, and that's the oldest commentary in existence in Latin on the Gospel of Matthew. Hmm. And anyhow, he also wrote his most important work. Actually, he wrote that before he was in exile, I think. In any event, he wrote his greatest work on the Trinity, De Trinitate, while he was in exile. And it's kind of like he's talking to God in this great book, a dialogue with God. And he shows how, in the book, how the Trinity 
is seen there in the New Testament, but also in many passages of the Old Testament, where you can see Christ kind of appearing in foreshadowed, Mm. as we say, and that the divinity of the Son and his equality to the Father is right there in Scripture. So he's really countering the Arians. And he, his starting point is really Jesus's command to go forth and baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So that formula of baptism given by, by Jesus himself, it was from that that he developed his whole Trinitarian theology. And especially the issue of the relationship that the Father and the Son are of the same nature, Mm -hmm. because that's what Arianism denied. And the Arians would take certain passages uh, of the New Testament that seem to imply that the Son was inferior to the Father. And Hillary is saying that can be misleading because some scripture texts are speaking of Jesus as God, where others are highlighting his human nature, his humanity. But we definitely see, for example, John's prologue, the preexistence of the word Mm -hmm. with the father. But then there are other passages and and things where Jesus says, like, the father and I are one. Mm -hmm. The same nature, the same substance. We say consubstantial Mm -hmm. in the the, uh, Nicene Creed. But then there are other passages where its emphasis is on the human nature of Jesus. So I think his, you could call it a little bit of a apologetics, but it's also very deep Trinitarian theology, and it's, it's very beautiful. There's also another book he wrote while he was in exile called The Book of Synods. And he wrote this for his brother bishops back in Gaul. And he basically wrote about these different synods that took place in the East and kind of explaining them to his brother bishops in Gaul. So he was trying to convince them of the truth of the teaching of Nicaea Uh and saying, listen, look at these texts of the other bishops that are solid. So, but is his, now how did he deal personally with the Arians and the Arian bishops? Is he, he was patient. In other words, he tried to lead them to the full faith, and he was very conciliatory. For example, there were some of them who would say, okay, the son is basically similar to the father. Hmm. Okay, he's essentially similar to the father. These kinds of Arians, you know, didn't really profess the full faith, but they were, in a sense, professing some of it. Mm-hmm. So. What Hillary did is rather than condemn them, he would use this to help them to grow in their faith and eventually convince them that there's not just this likeness or similarity between the Son and the Father, but there's a true equality Mm -hmm. in divinity. So he had this spirit of reconciliation. So the others had not yet arrived at the truth, and he used his great theological intelligence to lead them to the full truth about the divinity of of our Lord. So 
So he had great charity. Now, the emperor died, Constantius II, and Hillary was able to return home to his home diocese in Poitiers. Now, remember, he was going back to, you know, an area where he had been writing to them and trying to convince, you know, the bishops to abandon Arianism. So he gets back and continues his teaching, and they had a synod, another synod of bishops of uh -huh. Gaul, and this time I think it was in Paris, if I'm not mistaken. And by this time, the bishops had kind of come back to accept the Catholic faith, mm -hmm. the faith professed at the Council of Nicaea. Because of his writings? Yes, okay. exactly. And his influence, yeah. his theology. So it was pretty amazing. And also the way he did it, his charitable way mm. about him, I think also led some of them. So it's interesting that he, you know, in a sense was able to see his own church, local church, et cetera, return to the true faith. So he is called, as I said, the Athanasius of the West. He wasn't only concerned about his own diocese. There was also, you know, the great diocese of Milan in Italy. And he got involved there because the bishop there was an Arian. His name was Auxentius. And he fought against his teachings as well. And it was Auxentius was then succeeded by the great St. Ambrose, who brought Milan back to the true faith. Okay. And of course, Ambrose influenced the conversion of St. Augustine. Uh -huh. So really, when you think about this fourth century, it was pretty tumultuous. And it has these great figures. Some of the greatest bishops in the history of the church were from the fourth and, and fifth centuries. And I feel happy that my anniversary of, of my installation in Fort Wayne as bishop is on the feast of St. Hilary of uh -huh. Poitiers. Another interesting thing is he was kind of the, a teacher of Martin of Tours, you know, the famous oh, bishop. Wow. Actually, Martin of Tours was a monk, had uh, built a monastery not far from Poitiers. So Hilary, Martin of Tours is much more well-known and much uh -huh. more popular, yeah. but his teacher was Hilary of Poitiers. And one final thing is uh, Hillary wrote treatises on the Psalms. And I really like these because he, like I mentioned before, would see the Trinity or Christ foreshadowed in Old Testament passages. Well, when he studies the Psalms, he sees so much of the mystery of Christ and the mystery of the church in the Psalms. Mm. And I think that's, that's really good spiritual reading. I just wanted to mention that. Yeah. You mentioned fourth century being tumultuous times. I think people would say the same about today. Yeah. Do you think it was more tumultuous then, or or do you think <clears throat> we're, we're getting to a, an area where we might be more tumultuous today? Oh, I think it was more tumultuous then. I mean, okay. ex we don't have bishops <laughs> being sent into exile, yeah. at least not yet. Yeah. <laughs> and also just think of, you know, the uh, persecution in right. certain areas, although you do see that today. Sure. And some of those, a lot of those early popes, that's more before Christianity became legal, who were martyrs. So when you think about the third century, mm -hmm. that was even worse because Christianity was not only not the official religion, it was outlawed. Sure. Yeah.
All right. Well, learn a little bit every day and uh, as a doctor of the church that I didn't know much about. So thank you for sharing, Bishop. You're welcome. Could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. It's engineered by Josh Skipper at the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend, produced by Miriam Schmitz, and edited by Tony Marks for Spoke Street Media. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.